May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. The northern kingdom of Israel had seen better days. Things were tough. Ahab, the son of Omri, was king, but he was not a prince among men. He was wildly, widely held to be even more evil than any of his predecessors, and that was saying something. When he married Jezebel, the daughter of the king of Sidon, it didn't help matters. Jezebel introduced and sanctioned the worship of Baal. You might recall that Baal was the Canaanite agricultural god known as the weather god, the god of storms, and giver of rain so that the fruits of the field could increase. Now, it may not surprise you to know that the Almighty God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, did not take kindly to this new god in the neighborhood or to his consort, the goddess Asherah. Nor did God appreciate Jezebel killing all of his prophets. So God called down judgment on Ahab in the form of a drought. Elijah was the bearer of the unhappy news, telling the king that there would be neither dew nor rain for three years, which made Ahab, shall we say, uncomfortable. And he went looking for Elijah, but Elijah was safely hidden away, being fed by ravens and a widow. Now, as the third year was ending, God called Elijah out of the wilderness and back to active duty. He was told to present himself to Ahab, which he did, telling him to assemble all the people and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah, all those who were subsidized by the evil queen. Now, when everyone had gathered, Elijah told the people to make up their minds and stop hedging their bets. Oh, he said it all biblical, of course. How long will you go limping with two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. Either way, it amounts to the same thing. Time to get off the fence. The people didn't know how to respond. Life had been hard. With the lack of rain, the drought was extensive and lives and livelihoods were at stake. So some of them had been sacrificing to several gods, you know, hedging their bets and hoping for a blessing any way they could get it. So Elijah suggests a contest of sorts to the prophets of Baal. Offer a burnt offering to your God, only you don't get to use matches. He let the Baal team go first, and they got set up and prayed and prayed and prayed, and nothing happened. Well, Elijah got to mock him a little bit. That was fun. So they yelled louder and jumped around and cut themselves in a desperate attempt to get Baal's attention. Now, one might think that the god of storms and weather could call in a strategic lightning strike, right? But we're told there was no voice, no answer, and no response. Elijah got to work in the mid-afternoon. At first, he called the people forward so that they could see. And then he rebuilt the altar that had been torn down in the place using 12 stones. 
You may recall that when Joshua and the children of Israel finally crossed the Jordan into the land of promise, Joshua had a man from each tribe bring a stone from the river to build an altar to mark the occasion. So building an altar with 12 stones was a reminder. It was a connection to history, a connection to a time when the people knew and celebrated the faithfulness of God. It might not have been as loud or as riveting as the performance of Baal's priests. But here's the thing. Unlike the false prophets, Elijah wasn't trying to get God's attention. He was after the people. Next, he makes a trench around the altar, and once the firewood and the bull were all arranged, he had four people bring jugs of water and poured it over the whole thing. Now, we're not talking about a pitcher of sweet tea. We're talking about a jug. Twelve jugs of water, so much that everything was drenched and water even filled the trench. It was showy, a wanton waste of water during a drought. But it too was a reminder of the goodness of God, a, a reminder that God was capable of quenching the parched condition of his people, physically and spiritually. And with the stage all set, Elijah calls on God in prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel, that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your bidding. Answer me, O Lord, so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. I love that so that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. And when he was done speaking, fire fell upon the offering and consumed every last bit. We're told even the dust and the water in the trench. And the hearts of the people did turn back to God. They fell on their faces saying over and over, the Lord indeed is God. The Lord indeed is God. That day the people remembered that God, their God, was a good and gracious God. And that all their striving, their hedging of bets was not necessary because God had been present and at work the whole time, even when they didn't know anything about it. In some ways the world has not changed all that much from the time of Elijah. We don't have kings, but politicians still wield a lot of power and can use it for their own purposes, which often have nothing to do with what we understand of as faithfulness or the good of the people. There are still voices claiming to be God's voice, claiming their ways are God's ways. That is as old as time itself, but let us not be swayed. We are the people of all saints, and we know better. Last week we gathered to do what we do so well, sing and pray and carry on. As we do each week, we broke bread and shared it, and we went from this place to love and serve the Lord. We also celebrated Jeffrey and his family in their 18 years of faithful ministry and presence as part of the All Saints community. We had a reception and a luncheon and a concert There was plenty of laughter and a few tears as we shared with them how very much they're loved. 
and then we let them go. As the choir sang the final piece of the concert, a Gaelic blessing, a team of vergers escorted the family from their pew in the front, down the center aisle, and out the doors. It was hard to watch them go. But we sent them forth with our love and with blessings as they begin a new chapter and a new adventure together. And I, for one, am going to start watching the news because I'm pretty sure they're going to be taking Washington by storm. Going forward, things are going to be different. We know that. We don't know yet what it will look like, but as my mother used to say, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Jeffrey has taken his leave, but the community remains. The friends and followers of Jesus, of a particularly Episcopal persuasion, right here in Midtown, that is the family of all saints. While we cannot yet imagine how this is all going to work out, we're still going to gather Sunday by Sunday to do what we do best, to sing and pray and carry on, to break bread together, and being sent out to the hungry and hurting of the world. This past week, the profile and the nominating committees met with the diocesan folks and are already gearing up for their work. And next Sunday, we get to welcome Martha Stern back, friend and priest, as pastor and guide for this interim time, this in-between journey. So we're well on our way. However long the process takes, and whatever happens, we can rest in the insurance that all will be well, because we know what the people of Elijah's time didn't know or had forgotten. We know that who we are and whose we are, that we were created by love and for love, and we've been well-equipped for this journey. So let us gather at this table for solace and strength, And let us turn to one another, finding comfort and love and laughter as we journey on. We are the people of all saints. We have work to do. And we are well equipped. My friends, all shall be well. Amen.